0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List. As always, I am grateful that you are here, that you are listening, and I want to say that I appreciate all of your kind and thoughtful emails and reviews. They really help. Please, if you're listening, go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Also, if you don't already know this, this uh, podcast is available on YouTube. Uh, it's got full video. Actually, it doesn't have video of the intro. I'm just by myself here. Um, Sarah just fired up the bathtub. I don't know if you can hear that in the other room, but um, she's cleaning and I am taking a huge shit. That's not true. I'm in the bedroom sitting here. I don't know why I made it a shit joke. Anyways, I hope that you're doing well and staying safe. There seems to be good news regarding COVID. I'm seeing a bunch of it. Um, hopefully you're checking out good news and Googling some good news to keep you relatively positive in these times. And um, I'm doing an outdoor show, a couple outdoor shows. One I'm doing Monday in Bridgewater, New Jersey with Sam Murill and Jared Freed. That's on my social media. And I am once again doing Royersford, Pennsylvania, which is one of my favorite gigs that I've done in a long time. Well, I haven't done any gigs in a long time, but even before that COVID, whatever bullshit, it's not bullshit. I'm a believer in COVID. I believe in you, COVID. You can do it. You know what I'm saying. I'm not a fucking asshole is my point. Um, But anyways, I'm back in Royersford, Pennsylvania at Souljules Comedy Summer Series show thing on September 16th, and I'm bringing some, some guests It'll be fun. Um, I don't have a ton of material that I didn't do on that show, but I wanted to come back. So there'll be a few other comics with me that are really funny and you'll enjoy them. So get your tickets to that. And, um, and if you haven't watched the special I Hate Myself, please do watch it again. I'm trying to juice up those numbers. And follow the Laugh Button on YouTube. Um, this is on the Laugh Button Network. And they are good people. So please um, check that out uh or subscribe to them. And um uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this episode. I just finished recording it. Um this is the latest I've recorded an episode, uh, before releasing it. So it'll be fresh. It's with my friend Patrick Holbert, who's a comedian and um just a great guy and we talk a lot about sobriety and recovering from alcoholism in this episode. And um you'll hear it, we relate hard and um It's just a really great episode. I really enjoyed talking to Patrick, and um, I I mentioned this during the conversation that I felt like everything he said is something that I could have said myself, maybe not as articulately as he said it, but we have a lot in common, and we talk a little bit about parenting at the end. He's a new father, and I wanted to talk to him about that. Um, Didn't get to talk to him about that quite as much as I wanted to because we got caught up talking about Sobriety, So uh, maybe we'll continue the conversation again sometime, but it's a conversation I really enjoyed. You should check him out. He does a show called, um, oh God, I already forgot it. What the fuck's it called? Oh, Punchline Drunk. He does it at colleges. Um, it's sort of a comedy sobriety show, I believe. And he has a podcast with his wife, Ross, um, which, oh God, I am already going to screw this up. I think it's what, called No One Cares. About Ross and Patrick. Jesus. Oh, I'm such a bad person. Um, look him up on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Patrick Holbert, H O L B E R T. Um, he's a great guy, great comic. And um I his uh his Instagram is the Holbert Report, Holbert Report. We talk about that. And uh, you can check him out on Instagram. All his stuff is on there and on Twitter. So, um, who cares about Ross and Patrick? Ah, shit, I should have written this down. You'll hear all about it. I'm on three hours sleep, and um, I had a crazy night. So you'll hear about it. It's a great episode. Check out Patrick, please. We'll put his handle in the uh, the bio. I'm talking for too long. This is one of the worst intros I've ever done. I hate myself. I'm going to go meditate. But first, here's a fun quote that I heard yesterday in a in a Dharma talk, uh, some Buddhist talking. If you love the world, the world will love you back. Hmm? Maybe that's coming from a place of privilege, but I really enjoyed the guy saying it. You know, if you walk around grateful for things around you, the plants, the trees, the sky, the clouds, uh, that your friends, your family, the air that you're breathing, the sun, food, um, you'll feel better, if that makes sense. Oof conversation is a lot better than this intro. Yikes. Thanks for listening. I love you. All right, we are recording. I am here with my friend. I love having friends who I don't know how to say their name. Is it Holbert or Holbear? It's Holbert.
1: uh, But on Instagram, I write the Holbear rapport because I'm trying to Ride coattails.
0: Didn't you have some drinking name that rhymed with your last name? Sober Holbert. Yeah, that's Uh, what uh,
1: my friend, my buddies called me that in high school uh, because I didn't drink in high school and I drove them everywhere. So they nicknamed me Sober Holbert, which is ironic because then I became a horrific alcoholic for (laughs) almost 10 years.
0: Yeah, I had the same thing. It's interesting because I never drank in high school either. I didn't, I was like, I, I had my first drink. I think like six months after high school, October of 2000, I graduated in June of 2000.
1: I've heard you mention that and it's eerie because mine was October 99 when I was like three weeks into freshman year at college. So it's like our stories line up at that point just a year
0: earlier. Interesting. So you must have drank a little bit less time than me because you've been sober a little while longer.
1: Yeah, I drank for nine years from 99 till 2008. So it was a pretty compact uh,
0: span there. Interesting, because I feel like I I drank for like 10 years. I guess I drank, drank for 10. I'm trying to think. I guess I started in October 2000. I stopped drinking in December of 2012. So what's that, 12? That's 12 years, yeah. 12 years, but there was periods of like... I'm not drinking now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, three weeks or whatever of like six beers.
1: Horrible. I remember going on a cruise with the guys that called me Sober Holbert in high school when we started drinking uh, in in our mid-20s. We went on this cruise and I was like, I'm going to be sober on this trip, meaning I'm only going to drink beer and water. And uh, if I just drink beer all day and switch to water when things start getting really messy and that's sober like i'm not i'm not blacking out so that's like sober enough it's how crazy. did it,
0: how did it work out
1: it surprisingly worked out really well. I was just pretty much drunk the entire like six days, and uh, I remember getting my bill from the bar because you everything's free except alcohol. And I remember the my uh, booze uh, tab cost more than the trip itself. Um, and then I lost several friends at the end of the trip. That was a trip. I, I don't know if you've heard me mention this. I got on a JetBlue flight in Tampa, Florida on the way home from the cruise, and uh, I immediately walked into the cockpit to request a selfie, and I was wasted. I was still drunk. I had a Hawaiian lei around my neck, a stupid fedora on my head. I'm like, let's let's take a selfie. This is way post 9-11, and they let me into the cockpit to take selfies with the pilots. Uh, and then They had a good laugh and then i walked into the cabin and i picked up the phone and i told everyone on the flight hey guys we're gonna do karaoke now and people looked at me like this guy's hilarious let's do it like whatever and i think about that now in the context of what's going on in the world and i'm like that's white privilege right there like that i waltzed onto a 747 and entered the cockpit within 10 seconds
0: of being on the plane that's amazing this was post 9-11 yeah, this is
1: two thousand six. It was summer 'oh six.
0: That's amazing. I mean, yeah, if you were a yeah. uh, uh, Muslim, you'd probably be dead yes. right now. But uh, yes. that's wild. Oh, good for and you. And that's
1: what's. I mean, that's what's confusing about drinking is because when you're when you're this kind of a drunk, which sounds like you probably you were probably a fun guy. Like when people think you're a fun guy and you are silly, people assume well, it can't be that big of a deal you know and I also was always doing well at work and it just it just didn't have like on the surface consequences that everyone could see all the time so that's what makes it hard is you know you have a problem and you know you keep getting into trouble uh but it's just so much fun so you have to keep doing it
0: yeah that was I had the exact same uh experience I would always do shit like that and I always felt like I was killing and often I was and then um all my friends also drank and then, um, and family, and it was always fun and silly and you'd be getting laughs. And so nobody, I mean, literally nobody in my life was like, Hey man, you might want to cool it out a little. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah. Even when I, uh, I've told the story many times, but even when I blacked out and shit in a girl's shoe and pissed on her rug and fell through her table, I had people just calling me and like, this is hilarious. Like everybody yeah. was calling me to be like, that's like the funniest thing I've ever heard. I had one like, friend who like- like, dude, you got
1: like, a great 15 minutes out of this.
0: Yeah, people are like, this is great. And then my friend was like, I've done that like three times. Seriously, like my friend took a shit in his in-law's bathtub Ooh. and- Ooh. We, we laughed and we're just like that's great so like at no point maybe at some point I have to think but like at no point really was anybody ever like hey I'm, uh, I'm pretty concerned about your drinking
1: yeah and then I did have that uh, within a year of drinking it was a, a mental health counselor on my college campus who I did work with like I was like a double life drinker I was a student leader on campus and She brought me into her office and she was like, I keep hearing these stories. It sounds like you become a different person when you're drunk. She said all the textbook things and she asked about family history. I do have family history of alcoholism. And uh, she said this classic thing that we probably say to other people now. It's like, well, I can't say that you're an alcoholic uh, because that's not how it works. But you might be an alcohol abuser is what she said. And that made me... Uh, I just decided I'll just avoid her for the rest of college and then I'll just drink however I want and it won't be a problem.
0: Yeah. So that's the thing with alcoholism is sort of self uh, diagnosed, but I never, nobody said, Hey, you're an alcoholic. You're crazy. But when I was like, Hey, I'm an alcoholic. So I quit. Nobody was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody was like, "No way, man!" They're they're checking off their betting
1: pool, and they're like, "Oh, okay, Joe did it in twelve years. Uh, I win five hundred bucks."
0: Yeah, exactly. Everyone was like, "No, that makes sense, sure." And yeah. uh, it, it's hard, especially in in comedy, because everyone's so fucking wild and Yeah. Um, I always talk about. I think I talked about this on this podcast. The idea of um. Comedy Christmas parties has always been so funny to me. The idea of, like, we're going to get together, let our hair down a little, have some fun, just get loose. And you're like, Uh, okay, I've been doing that every night, but sure.
1: Yeah, so that's where I'm so grateful that the comedy came after sobriety for me because if I were, I mean, I used to work like, I guess, comedy adjacent or entertainment adjacent. I was a TV producer for many years and we had Christmas parties. I worked for MTV. They threw their Christmas party at Hammerstein Ballroom. Like it was an, an insane party. Like people would get taken out in ambulances from drinking too much. And I always, always, always made a total ass of myself. Like I can remember pulling executive producers aside and like yelling in their ear while they're just trying to have a night out and like enjoy the music dance i'm pulling them aside telling them what's wrong with the network and i'm like a production assistant you know uh but when i'm drunk i think i know every well i think i know everything now but when i'm drunk i want everyone to know that
0: that's i mean i did stuff like that i remember in comedy so wait so i want to tell this story but you never drank while doing stand-up comedy is that right
1: I guess I did in the sense that my first open mics were when I was 19. I was in college, uh, and I was drinking. Um, and then I, yeah. And then I did open mics again, not for until like eight years ago. So, uh, yeah. And that was after I got sober.
0: Man, it's, I, I was talking to Rosebud uh, Baker a couple of weeks ago, and she's another mm-hmm. person that quit drinking and, um, She said the same thing. I I didn't realize, like, she didn't, her comedy and drinking didn't overlap, which I'm sort of, uh, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that I started comedy when I did. I guess I wish I,
1: yeah, I I I just cannot imagine how many enemies I would have, you know, how many, how many clubs I'd be blacklisted from or whatever, you know, like, I, I don't know what kind of mess I would have made in that environment.
0: Yeah, I was good at behaving because I knew comedy meant so much to me. So I was pretty good at behaving. And I was really, really extremely skilled at pretending not to be drunk. Mm. I, I forget where I was just talking about this. It might have been on um, this podcast or maybe it was just in conversation. I can't remember anymore. I do so much talking now. Yeah. I have no idea. But yeah. I was really good at ordering a drink or having a conversation. If, I, if it was someone I didn't want to know I was a drunk, I was so good at just being like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And just being like, hi, may I have a Captain and Coke? And I had had 17 drinks. I was in like a brownout, yeah. but I, yeah. which essentially is lying. I was like a good bullshitter. But I could talk in that way of like, it's like Chappelle talks about how he has black voice and white voice where he's like, I don't like that deal. (laughs) I could do that drinking of just be like, I'll have two Budweiser's and I never got kicked out of bars for that. I rarely got kicked out because I was able to do that.
1: It's like the computer program took over in your head to like, just pretend to be sober and go on autopilot. Yeah that That reminds me of sort of the opposite thing where I was good at meeting I was good at meeting women and I loved uh picking up girls while drinking and stuff and they would meet this version of me this like totally keyed up wild man dance party guy like I loved I love you know when like a, a a dance circle forms at a bar and people are dancing getting crazy I loved being the guy like trying to like outdo everybody and I would meet girls that way and certain girls like were attracted to that or whatever. And then I would make a date for later that week or whatever to meet up. Like I would get numbers. I was rarely like a one night stand guy, but, uh, I I remember having this problem of like, well shit, they met, they met like awesome Pat miscellaneous. Pat miscellaneous was my rap name. Uh, they met Pat miscellaneous. Now, I'm just Patrick during after work. Like, I gotta like bring amp myself back up to that level, which either involved getting drunk before the date or just like having to like pretend or something. So, I don't know if it relates exactly to pretending being sober at the bar, but it's like basically playing pretend to like be this like cartoon character that they met on
0: Friday night. Yeah, totally. I mean, I relate to that with drinking and comedy in some ways, but similarly, like I got laid more doing karaoke than comedy. First of all, I was not a good, I was not good at getting laid and had no confidence, but like there was a couple of times, two different instances where I just ripped it so hard at karaoke that girls were like, I'm going home with you. I, one girl was like, I'm going home with you and I don't care what you say, which was nice. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, another girl that was like way more attractive than I was and Uh, but it was similar because the next morning sober I'm a shy person and anxious and like hi uh yeah Yeah. I don't know and it, it, it is hard it's a completely different animal
1: yeah and that's what's that's what's challenging about booze it's it's socially acceptable to drink a lot especially in New York City it's uh a lot of people don't consider it a drug and um uh what's the point I wanted to make about it uh just that, like it's, uh, it, uh, fuck. I lost the point I wanted to make. Um, It'll come back anyway. Dual, I'm dual. drunk. I'm wasted. <laughs>
0: um, well, what were we talking about? The fact that you're different, getting laid, talking to people the next morning.
1: Yeah, like yeah, you're a different person. But fuck, there's a specific profound point I was gonna make, and uh, uh, about about that dynamic that you were describing. But anyway, I didn't sleep much last night. So, And it, I don't think you did either.
0: No, this is this is really weird. First of all, uh, for the people listening at home, this is the third different time we've had set to record this. <laughs> we were supposed to record at 10 a.m., but I realized I had radio. And then we switched to 8.45 a.m., which was going to be a record earliest podcast ever recorded. And um, I had a... We'd seven- be
1: clocking in like a couple of... Iron workers, <laughs> like a like a springsteen our, tune, like our metal lunchboxes just showing up to the work site. Exactly, rising.
0: But so I appreciate your flexibility, uh, which is a benefit of COVID, I guess. But um, yeah, so I had a flight from Houston to New York that was supposed to leave at six fifty nine and land at eleven thirty or something like that. We got delayed three hours on the ground because of a technical issue. And then the the pilot came on and said, good news, bad news. We fixed the issue. We're going to fly to LaGuardia. Bad news, LaGuardia is not a 24-hour airport. It's now closed, and we have to wait for it to reopen. So we sat on the ground for seven and a half hours, which is so...
1: Not in the plane.
0: In the plane, yeah, on the plane. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fortunately, I fly so much I get upgraded to first class. So we were in first class and they have live TV, which is nice. So I could watch some sports and the tennis tournament, but it was rough. But this speaks to the benefit of sobriety. And for me, meditation and mindfulness of like, obviously not a pleasant experience, but I did have this thing. I'm also really into um, stoicism. I've gotten into that mm. in the last couple of months and the idea of accepting whatever happens. And I made yeah. the but still outraged yeah
1: you you turned me on to the waking up app which is great by the way and uh sam harris keeps talking about how meditation is preparation for like the worst day of your life right so it sounds like you've been in boot camp just to for for years of the work you've been doing just to survive that flight home last night
0: yeah it's not and like do They talk about this, and I learned about kind of stoicism through Waking Up app. He talks to William Irvine or Bill Irvine. It's a great conversation, and that led me to his book, um, which I think might be next to me right now. It is. Um, But just talking about gratitude of like all right well at least like thinking of worst case scenarios like the technical problem couldn't happen could have happened while we were in the air and then we crash or i could be back in coach with all the fucking losers um (laughs) like at least i'm in a comfortable plane i was with sarah and then you do have it's the thing of like we're delayed seven and a half hours which isn't great but you're like i listened to the waking up app from sam harris i listened to a podcast i'm watching tennis like there's plenty to do i read i took yeah. a nap and all that shit and meditated so it's not the worst case it's not the worst thing to happen
1: real quick though that is the cruelest wor- uh good news bad news announcement from a pilot <laughs> i've ever heard like he was like he said to his co-pilot he's like listen to this shit i'm about to punk all of them <laughs>
0: Well, the funniest part was, so they had the cockpit door open, the entire delay, and then I would walk to the bathroom and they had to like rest because they're going to be up all night. And so they just had their feet fucking like on the dashboard or whatever you call it. The uh, what's perfect,
1: perfect selfie selfie moment. You should have sh- went in there.
0: I should have got in there. And there was only like five of us on the plane, but... It was so funny because their feet were just on all the shit, like the ultimate like or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, like instruments, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, can your feet be on that shit? Um, <laughs> but, I, I
1: don't think so. I haven't gone to flight school, but that sounds like a bad idea. Uh, it's, holy
0: shit. It seemed not great, but so, yeah, anyway, so I appreciate your flexibility, but you always have that thing of like, and this is still, I don't know if this is alcoholic thinking or just anxiety thinking. My initial instinct in any situation where it's not going my way is to be like, we're fucked. This is, mm-hmm. this is horrible. And mm-hmm. then it was one of those things of like, I texted you like, hey, can you do it at this time instead? I'm like, okay, we'll do it at that time. And you just kind of f- figure it out. And it's working out fine, I think
1: yeah like what what were the like if there were a few tools that you consciously put into action when you were like you were like, Fuck, this is going to be a really hard night. what were the, like the things that came to mind that you were going to use to get through it
0: well th- the thing is it's like that stoicism and and sort of that serenity is like I cannot do anything about this there's nothing that I might as well skip all of the anger and anxiety stress of like, there's literally nothing I can do. And then the next flight, they have one flight a day right now from Houston to New York, because side note, I feel like both States are afraid of the other one. Everyone in New York's like, Texas is horrible right now. And Texas yeah. is like, I wouldn't go anywhere near New York. So they only have one flight a day. So if you don't get on that plane, you're waiting 24 hours. And um, it's just like, that's, that's the deal. Like they're like, we're leaving yeah. at, And I did have one moment that is one of those things you're like, I should, I could have just kept that to myself, but I walked by and I was like, we can't fly to JFK. Like, and and the guy's like, it's not that easy. And I was mad at him for being like douchey as though they hadn't thought of that. Like nobody was like, what if we flew to that other airport? 20 minutes away.
1: I'm picturing them like, holy shit, and they're like kicking their feet off the instruments. The bag of chips that's in their laps goes flying everywhere they're like we gotta get we gotta get back to business. This guy knows what he's talking about.
0: Bill is another airport. And it's like, did you know about this? This guy in first class he's a
1: fucking flight engineer he came up with something jfk
0: that's an airport Um, well that's
1: uh, i mean that's how i feel anytime i pipe up with an idea like right now my wife and i have a new child and so much of having a new child is communicating over what are we going to do next like what like where how are we going to get the baby from the bed to the crib to the to the stroller to the whatever you know And, and it's like constantly thinking i have a great idea for whatever we got to do next uh especially it's it's worse when i disagree with how she's doing something so i'm it's it feels like i'm constantly saying like hey did you think of jfk and she's like no you fucking idiot because we're already going to laguardia you know like like those communication mishaps happen all the time in life in general that like that you did in the flight and then with a kid it's like like that all the time
0: yeah well for me i mean and i know there's another book called ego is the enemy and uh you know we talk a lot about ego with drinking and stuff and it's just that thing of like maybe like there's some part of me that's like i bet maybe they haven't thought of this let me just put it out there and see and I'll, i'll say it casually so i don't look like an asshole yeah but perhaps maybe there's a little chance that they're like that's good but i'll say it in a way that they're not like jerk jerkish about it yeah and i did have also another moment where the flight attendant you know we're sitting there for two hours and the flight attendant walks by and i was like hey what uh what's going on and he said uh he's like what do you mean and it made me i don't know if you have this with anger i'd like to get into this too of like it made me want to take his face and smash it through the fucking window. Like, and Sarah was, you know, she's got similar problems as me. She was like, right. Like, we're both just like, I wanted to fucking beat him. Like just step on his face (laughs) bunch. Like, what do you mean? What do I mean? What do you think I'm talking about? I want to know what your dating life is like. I want, what are you talking about? We're sitting here for two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, That's
1: where it's so hard to put yourself in their shoes. It's like, all right, that guy, probably has 45 you know however many people are on the flight like either asking him that question or giving him that question with their angry faces and uh and i'm not taking his side by the way Uh, but (laughs) but you you know like how often we have to like after the fact remember like oh yeah they probably heard that like like they that's their job is to field that question uh with frustrated people and it probably gets pretty old
0: for them. Yeah. And it was funny too, cause right after, like one minute later, 90 seconds later, whatever the pilot came on and was like, Hey folks, just to update you, we do not really have any updates right now. So clearly the flight attendant guy went straight to the pilot and was like, Hey, can you say something to these fucking assholes? But I do feel like there, you know, again, the ego comes in of like, there is a thing of like, you have to address this at some point. Like the last mm-hmm. announcement was 90 minutes ago. You've got to let us know what's going on. Um, and then not that one, but a different flight attendant went, this is so funny to me, a flight attendant went to Taco Bell, like drove to Taco he's like, this, <laughs> That's how many people were on the flight. There was only like six of us. And they were like, does anyone want Taco Bell? It's the only thing open. So a flight attendant left, drove his car to Taco Bell and came back with Tech, you know taco bell for everybody which was which, fun
1: which also seems uh which is very sweet but also a little bit cruel like let's see if we can gas up
0: this <laughs> right. jet before we get back to new york yeah we'll we'll ruin the toilet while we're in here but yeah now was anger and anxiety as a bigger part of your life Your drinking before i mean what made you what what went haywire that made you drink like that or was it yeah nothing just genes or whatever
1: I, I think genes for sure like my dad is a heavy drinker I don't know if I'm allowed to say he's an alcoholic but uh, I, I always was scared to drink because of him and I waited as long as possible uh, I think what went haywire for me was I have like a thrill seeker like gene or something like I have this thing in my head that wants life to be bigger and faster and more exciting all the time so I grew up like skateboarding biking like rollerblading just like doing stupid stuff with my friends and um, you know lighting fires in the woods and firecrackers and potato guns and all that stuff uh, prank phone calls uh, making fun of each other and then like in college, when I discovered drinking, it was like that was very often paired with it—like uh, climbing stuff, jumping off of stuff, jumping out windows into snowbanks, and vandalizing stuff, uh, saying really mean things to people, like getting a rush out of uh, ganging up on people or roasting people, um, like uh, non-consensually. You know, like like being the mean asshole at a party, and like just getting laughs became a rush and i think like drinking fed into that like it was like i need to get that euphoric state again tonight like whatever happened last night let's see if we can outdo it again um and the anxiety piece i was trying to think of how to talk about this because i know i know so many of your issues just cuz i listen to your your stuff and i i don't relate to a lot of like social anxiety type feelings i was more like um uh like where like all my fear basically always came from uh ha- not like a fear that i won't get what i want or a fear that i'm gonna lose what i have so i have this like scarcity complex like like i, I just i'm always afraid there's not enough and it could be anything it could be money it could be sex it could be cookies at a party or beers at a party like as an active drinker it was I was always obsessed with whether or not they had enough booze there uh because I I was just I didn't want to ever run out so a lot of my anxiety was always about how do I not feel that fear like I would drink until that and all the fear went away um and now like anxiety presents itself as like perfectionism uh Oh, in the anger piece, yeah, like drinking allowed me to express my anger. Uh, now I tend to bottle up anger and hold it in, and then let all that funky stuff get funky until it explodes or it comes out in some weird way. Um, sorry, I'm like a little all over the place, but uh, yeah, like as a kid, as a young person, I just anxiety like I was like really popular in school I I had a lot of friends even before I drank like I was the prom king and homecoming king and all this shit I wasn't even in sports I was just like popular and I I think I think that could have been anxiety like me wanting to have all these friends and draw people in that would make me feel like if I had a lot of friends then I'm a good person like it was validating I needed people to validate me constantly so I guess that could have been like layers of anxiety or something.
0: That was, uh, I mean, there was so much in there to respond to, but I'm like, I relate so much to everything you just said. Like, I feel like if you had written that down, I could have signed my name and been like, here's the thing I <laughs> I mean, that I feel all of those things, that fear of running out of stuff, I still have with food. It's so funny, I just went um, on like a 10-day trip with with my wife and her sister and her mother. And they just eat completely different than I do where I had, I felt proud of myself for setting some boundaries and speaking up and being like, y'all are fucking nuts with this food. Like they eat like crackers and cheese for lunch. That's a lunch. Mm -hmm. And my family is the complete opposite. My family's hard, big with everything, too much of everything. And I'm like, both of our families are fucking weird, but we're, my family's way closer to normal. Like, yeah they eat like 600 calories a day and i had to yeah. just start being like we gotta go to burger kit Ca- like i gotta get f- i have to eat yeah. a meal now or i'm gonna fucking shoot one of you and yeah. i had that always with booze that we were gonna run out of booze i remember playing we used to play softball on sundays in um in south boston the boston comedy scene and we'd all do beer runs and i can remember i was broke at the time I can remember playing left field and just lining my pockets with beers because everyone was taking beers. And I would be like in the outfield watching how many people were drinking beers on the bench. And I'm like, I'm getting my beer. I'm getting Mm -hmm. drunk. And I would be running around with like three Bud Light cans in each fucking pocket (laughs) and my cargo cargo shorts. And I would always feel that way. And I would send people out for more booze or when people weren't looking, I would sneak shots. Cause I'm like, there's a level of alcohol that I need that I'm going to get to. And it was the same yep. with pizza slices or French fries or whatever. And i still feel that way now when people will, I'll order food and be like, can I have a bite of this? Or can I have a couple of these? I'm like, now I have some money where I'm like, I'll just order you one. Yeah. I don't want you. This is the amount that I want. And I'm happy to share. I'm, I'm a, a giving person, but I'm like, I'll just get you extra because I need this. And I have that fear and anxiety all the time.
1: Yeah. And I like, I relate a little bit to hoarders on TV. It's like, I kind of get why, how it can get to that point. Like I relate to just wanting to keep stuff and to not, to not let things go and to try to remember everything. Like I've always been a little bit of a pack rat. Like I keep little, just like concert tickets or trinkets or whatever from over the years, I just have all this old shit. And it's like, what am I even doing with this? Like, so that's where like, the Buddhism stuff is coming in huge where it's just like, it's just stuff. And now life is about experiences and relationships. Um, and I don't, you don't have to, I don't have to hoard everything. I don't have to have all the fucking ice cream tonight. You know, there will be more ice cream available tomorrow. Uh, that's, that's the stuff I, I really have to think deeply about. Cause I, I, I it's like, I remember by the end of the day, I always forget like, I can stop. Like, I don't have to eat all this now. Like it will, there's, there's going to be more tomorrow if I want it, you know, um, ice cream is my biggest challenge at the moment.
0: I am a big ice cream guy. We just, I eat so much of it. I love it, but I, I relate so hard to that shit. I used to always, my friend used to, used to give me shit all the time. Cause I'd always get a large soda, a large Coke. And uh, he's like, you never finish it he's like, why don't you get a medium? You never finish the Coke. And I'm like, I know, but that's the way I like it. I like to mm-hmm. have some left over because that idea of when that's sipping. And then it's like uh, it's such yeah. a analogy. Oh, what do you call it? A, um, not an analogy a metaphor metaphor. Yeah. I'm a little sleepy. Um, it's such a great metaphor of like that feeling of like, <clears throat> when you hit the bottom of the yeah. cup, you're like, I just, I don't want that. I'll rather need money so I can have a giant soda.
1: Yeah. We, when we were kids, uh, like the few family dinners I can remember. Nice. Cheers. Uh, I got the
0: large tea here. Uh,
1: Nice. Uh, We would go to Pizza Hut. uh, And I remember the pizza would come out so hot and the the sodas would come out first in those red, like those red plastic cups. And uh, I remember Pizza Hut back in the day, this is the mid eighties, I guess. There were no free refills, and I remember it being a thing like the drinks would come out, and my parents would be like there 's no free refills, so don 't drink your drink you 're going to want to save that up, of course, we wouldn't be able to because we 're kids, we want sugar we 're drinking, and the pizza comes out it 's scalding hot, the first soda's gone, and like you 're trying to like cool your mouth down, but the roof of your mouth is melting off and we can't order more drinks or, or it's gotta be like strategically, like if you're going to have a second soda, it's gotta be, you know, ordered later in the meal or whatever. Cause money was like an issue. So it's like that awkward childhood family dinner, like, Scare like not enough soda i i think like made me an alcoholic
0: i it's so funny man i i relate to everything you're saying so hard because i felt the same way i still order extra marinara every time i order a pizza or pasta or like we go to chick-fil-a i'm like three zesty buffalo i need like i need extra ketchup because i hate running out of anything it's like a it's a a, a crisis to me if anything yep. is low uh, yeah,
1: I, I really think they should tell parents when your kid is in elementary school, like, they should be watching them at lunch, however much ketchup they put on their tray. I would I would put napkins on a tray, and I would just, like, I didn't like the little paper ketchup containers, and I would just make, like, a five-inch diameter dollop of ketchup on the napkin to dip my fries into, because I knew I would there wasn't going to be enough ketchup. So, like, they could tell people... About their kids' catch up usage and if that's an indicator of future alcoholism or not. Like, I truly believe that.
0: That's hilarious. And I feel the same way. And I do it now, like you said, like with sex too. Like, I'm married, but I'm like, we, I, I literally keep in my head. I'm like, all right, we're going to die. There's a limited amount of time. Eventually, we'll be like 70. I won't be able to have sex. Like, we got to have sex. Like, uh, we got to have, we haven't had sex in three days. We got to have sex because, like, we're running out of times to have sex or yeah any anything is like that or seeing my family or seeing friends i'm like keeping a chart and like you said i'm trying to let go and i do the same thing i collect photos i take a million photographs and collect movie post i mean uh, concert posters and tickets because i so desperately am trying to grasp to every memory and every ounce of life and i i related to what you were saying about high school i was very popular i was very happy i, I felt I never drank in high school and I really felt great. I was just discussing this with Sarah yesterday. It's weird. I look back and I'm like my junior and senior year in high school, as far as mentally, that's the best I ever felt. I felt Mm. I had never read or did anything Buddhist, but I felt completely Zen and in the moment in that time. And I was trying to put together what it was, but A lot of it was I I ran, I ran seven to nine miles a day. I ran cross country and and track and I belonged. I was the captain of those teams my senior year. I was social and I felt like I had a role on those Mm -hmm. teams, plus the exercise, but I was so completely in the moment and had so much fun. And then I think shortly after that, I started doing comedy and met all these older people and they were dealing with life issues and they're kind of, stress and anxiety maybe overcame mine a little bit and also everyone else went to college and started doing shit and i started that that's when i first started doing comparison and comparing mm-hmm. compare despair as we say
1: yeah yeah uh i relate to a ton of that man um and i it, the first thing is the sex the scarcity thing relating to sex i um First of all, one thing I really admire about you and the things you've talked about is uh, your relationship to fitness and using your body and feeling good in your body and exercise. And every time I have have been like that, I, it's always made my life better. I happen to like be sort of way off of that right now. The, the most I do is like nice long walks with the dog and the baby, but uh every time I exercise in a in an actual focused way, I feel so much better and I've been writing in my morning pages I've been writing about how getting fit would be good for me because I'm about to turn 40 in the spring and uh, how much good sex can I have in my 40s and 50s like maybe maybe, up till 55 and then like it's a heart attack risk or something i don't know and i've just been writing like wouldn't it be nice to be really fit for the next 15 years so i can be be like sexy in bed you know because right now i'm like a doughy fat skinny guy and i don't i don't feel turned on by myself at the moment so uh but I don't know if that's the healthiest way to think about. I need to get fit so I can have 15 years of good sex or whatever. Um, So I just throwing that out there. Uh, And then the other thing is feeling like your truest, most authentic self in high school. I, I've, I know exactly. That's, that's what happened with me. And uh, I remember being 13, 14, 15 years old, becoming obsessed with comedy, thinking I'm going to figure out how to become a comedian one day. And then, Going to college, knowing that was my goal, and trying it, but it was so bad, and uh, I bombed so so horribly. Uh, I I I just drank. I like I was like I can't bear to do this again. Uh, so I drank, became a the campus drunk and campus party guy, and it, that tapped into the authentic desire to be like an entertainer or a funny guy or whatever. The boozing and the cartoon character. Of Pat Miscellaneous actually scratched that authentic itch to connect to people and be funny on stage and entertain people. So it perverted this authentic desire that I had for myself to be in the middle of all the attention or whatever. That is actually a healthy desire. Like uh, as people say all the time, oh, it's like a narcissistic pursuit or whatever. But it's healthy if it's like the if it's the right thing for whatever person, you know, um, I'm going off the rails here, but the point is that I knew what I wanted for myself in life. I specifically went toward trying to get to it. And then I discovered booze, which was so much more powerful than the hard work of actually following through
0: on goals. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Cause uh, as you started talking about it, it, reminded me of what I had talked about. And I'm like, yeah. And then after high school, I, you know, I think I wasn't on the cross country team and I'm like, Oh, right. And also I started drinking a ton of alcohol, uh, yeah. which is a depressant and get, it just gets in the way. And, you know, Obviously, like fucks up your days and there's hangovers, and you put aside all you wanted to do to drink, or at least I did anyway. Some people, I guess, are able to not do that. But
1: well, and I think it honestly, like, it enhanced my life in a lot of ways. Like I'm like definitely not a per. Like I don't think every like I think drinking is good for some people. Like my dad is probably a drunk, but at the same time, the most loving sweet things he's ever said to me have been while he's drunk. So it's like, would I have ever gotten that communication from him if he wasn't hammered? Like, shit like that, I think a lot about. Like, uh, he should probably quit. But some people, some people, like, I, I always worry... Because I I do a show for college students about all this stuff and and I worry that they think my message is no one should drink and that drinking is bad and sobriety everybody should be sober and I I don't think sobriety is for everyone but I also don't think drinking is if that makes
0: sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, everything you're saying is making sense to me, but we have similar problems, so it makes sense. Yeah. But, um, but. No, I agree. And, like, I, I, Sarah and I talk about all the time. Like, I wish I could drink. Like, there's times where you're, like, you put a buzz on. Like, I remember being in uh, – I'm looking at a photo of it right now, actually. Being in Iraq with Nate Bargatze, in Red State Nate. And at the time, I had – my buddy had – I would take Vicodin occasionally, leisurely. And uh, I had a couple. And somehow we found – a friend of mine from high school was there. And he had booze, even though you weren't supposed to have booze. And it was like a limited amount of beer. I think we had like three beers. I had a Vicodin and they had Cuban cigars. And I said, this isn't great for the sober people to hear, but I'm like, it's the best I've ever felt physically in my entire life. Like one Vicodin, a couple beers and a cigar. And I'm like, fucking woo. Like if I could do that once every three months, just in in my parents' backyard with a Vicodin and a cigar, I would do. And a couple beers. I'm like, this would, I would... I'd kill for that. Like there's hot summer days where I see like an IPA and I'm like, man, to have an IPA. But for me, I know exactly where that leads and it leads to me fucking hating myself and throwing up and and fighting.
1: Yeah. And probably drunk on your next seven hour delay runway in first class situation. Like, could you imagine that you had unlimited access to first class booze last night? Like... You you would be one of those news stories, like those news stories <laughs> when people get carried off of flights or they had to duct tape a guy down in the aisle of the thing or like a lady said a racist thing or wh- whatever. I have a lot of compassion for those people because I, I mean, how close I've been that I've been very close to me being that disruptive on a flight that uh, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it's just so drunk. Uh, and that's the stuff that scares me is like, how could I have legally endangered myself more? How could I have physically endangered myself more? Where where would it have ended, you know? Uh, who the hell knows? Um, Comple- but completely. yeah, and, and the pills thing, I just wanted to mention, I remember uh, getting sober and like going to these meetings and being like, well, I'm not, I wasn't ever as bad as these people. Like, I don't relate to any of this. And then I kept going and the more I started remembering my behavior, I realized, in the last year of my drinking, the girl I was with at the time had all these codeine pills that I started pairing with my drinking at night. And I loved the feeling of laying on the mattress and feeling like I was floating. And it took me like a year or two of being sober to remember, like, yeah, that's, uh, that's abusing pills. Like I, like, I do relate to people talking about pills. And it, it, it's just weird how, like, we can live in so much denial for so long.
0: Yeah, well, my thing with pills was the same way we rationalized drinking was I had a good friend who was a pill guy, but I never got his source. So as long as I was like, as long as I don't have my own source, and I just do it when I'm with him, I'm fine. But, you know, luckily, I got sober. But if I had progressed, I mean, you know, I would have been in that position. And like everything, like we talk about, still, I have this with food and sex. And then with drinking and pills, you chase that first initial thing. And I can remember having that, a Vicodin, a couple of beers felt great. And so then it would start to wear off and you have another Vicodin. And before you know it, I'm just passed out. And then the night's over and and passing out is one step away from fucking dying. Yeah. Uh, when you start mixing pills and booze. So
1: Especially in New York, you know, like that's, that's the other thing too, is like you hear these stories of somebody falling in front of a train or walking into traffic. Or in the Midwest, there's like young people who they will walk home from a party on a college campus and fall into a snowbank and fall asleep and fucking die like they're, they don't wake up. And it's like, uh, that's, that's what freaks me out. Like now we have this kid, my wife and I met in recovery she's a sober uh cokehead uh alcoholic and we've made a child together who hopefully you know if she wants goes to college and like we're gonna have to have this talk someday and i don't want to be the parent that's like hey look kid uh people drink and they fall on snowbanks and die but uh, it, it does happen you know and it's like uh and then also if i tell her the truth which is what i've told you here today that Drinking is pretty awesome sometimes too. Uh, So you just have to just know that you're like potentially pre-coded with this like program for devastation. Yeah. Have fun.
0: It's hard. And I want to get into uh, you being a new parent. I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. We're going to run out of time here because we are, I mean, I'm just enjoying talking about this so much. So maybe we'll have to do another episode. But um, And that's the nice thing about this podcast. I feel like it's repeat guests is is something that would be welcome and work. But anywho, <clears throat> I, I wonder, and this is a, a large conversation I know through time and history of, and psychology and, and therapy, of if it's more drinking is more learned behavior or if it's more um, genetic. I mean, because I've, I've seen, I've read science that genetically it doesn't really, there's not much there to say it is genetic. Um, but then there, there's so many people I know who alcoholism is in their family and they're alcoholics but my therapist believes everything is learned behavior outside of serious psychosis and bipolar but i think in my family my family's all heavy drinkers and i've talked about it before on this show like you know for my family everybody was i don't want to say miserable but like work was really tough and raising kids was really tough but on the weekends we fucking get after it and that's when mm-hmm. life is really fun and from the youngest age i thought life is work and difficult and on the and if you drink it's pretty fun and so that's that kind of was beaten into me. Yeah. So anyways, my point yeah. was that your, your, your child not seeing you guys drink, maybe, I mean, they're going to see other people drink and they're having fun. Um, my thought would be uh, my wife and I are both sober as well. So I've thought about this myself. Like maybe if they're not growing up watching that and seeing that, um, maybe it'll be easier for her to not fall into that.
1: Yeah and i i do agree that it's probably mostly learned behavior but also like learned in the sense of like nature versus nurture or whatever like where uh not drinking specifically learned but learning that if you Feel like you're missing something like we we talk a lot about filling the hole right like we feel like we have a hole that can't be filled with no matter how much booze or ice cream or sex or whatever i put in there i still feel a little bit empty inside uh and we uh in recovery have to learn how to like fill that hole with um community and therapy and uh whatever tools coping tools all these different things so just because we don't drink doesn't mean we won't accidentally install some kind of void in her, you know, like she could still have a hole. If, if I'm obsessed with work the way sometimes I can be, I can be like maniacally obsessed with work and, uh, like literally forget to like look over at her and smile and like tickle her or say hi or whatever. Or like I've, there've been period, I've been with my wife for 10 years. There've been periods where I've like neglected her emotionally in favor of other things going on. And that kind of workaholism, I'm afraid of affecting her. Uh, uh, Let's say um, we, we become a a bickering couple like where we're fighting all the time like we do we do have our, our our little spats but we have like great communication right now but let's say we become antagonistic uh we might be sober and not drinking but if we're antagonistic for 18 years of this kid's life like that could that could have a devastating effect on her that's invisible you know like we everybody might look normal and sound normal but then she's like like, who knows? Like, I mean, this is a major future trip I'm going on, but, uh, yes, I thank God we don't drink and hopefully will not relapse. Uh, but there's certainly lots of other ways to fuck up a kid or or skin a cat, as they say.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, have you read the book, know about the book running on empty? Uh, uh, I heard you talk about it
1: yesterday and uh this is so weird. It's by the way, I just want to acknowledge how surreal it is to be having this conversation with you when I spend a lot of dog walks having one-sided conversations with you. So I heard about it, I looked it up because I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what he's describing is like what I relate to. Uh but yeah, say say more about it. I don't want to like
0: Oh, well, so, I mean, you should get the book because I was, I was reading. First of all, I did, I mean, I talked about this on Tuesdays with stories, <laughs> um, but yeah, I did an episode of WTF with Mark Marin and this woman like emailed me and was like, oh my God, you need to read this book, which, you know, we only talked about this stuff for three minutes on his podcast, but so I got this book and it's all about emotional neglect. Um, that like exactly the way everything you just described is basically what the book is about where things where it's like it's a happy loving family but maybe you just didn't get exactly what you needed but i was reading it and i was like this book is great for anyone that feels that way but also anyone who's raising a kid to Mm. kind of it's like it kind of shows you like a, a an example of like a wrong way to handle A lot of different situations and the right way to handle a lot of situations and it's really just fascinating even if you don't feel like you suffer emotional neglect and you're not planning on having a kid it's just really interesting psychologically when they kind of explain how something happened and what that could mean and what so So it's a really fascinating book that i'm enjoying reading because i feel like i i do suffer from that and um I don't know. I recommend it if you're having a kid, but yeah, you you described it perfectly. And there's so many fears like that. And we were texting about it. I, you know, I never really thought about having a child because of the way I feel about this stuff. And what I've my sort of learned behavior about having a kid has been is that it kind of really stresses out your marriage. It really stretches you out financially, and you don't get to go on the trips you want to get to live. You don't get to live the life you wanted to live. And that was sort of put into me in a lot of ways tragically I think um, but now I've, I've kind of talked to my therapist who my therapist who is uh, just the best guy I, I love him and he's like it's easy you love your kid because he's your kid <laughs> he's like you yeah. don't have to do anything you just uh, he's like there's nothing more beautiful and he talks about it I'm like crying being like this sounds amazing and yeah. uh, talking to my wife's mother about it just seems like God, this sounds like the most fun you can have as a person is is showing kids these things. So it's sort of changed my feeling quite a bit. And you're a little bit older than me and just had a kid, which is another fear of being, you know, too old. Uh, which I don't know if that makes you feel old or makes me feel good. I can't tell. <laughs> <It's more prevalent. laughs>
1: no, I, I honestly, I'm like really proud of of us for just like doing it however the hell we wanted to do it. You know, like I think as a younger person in my teens and 20s I just had this idea of like the recipe you're supposed to follow in life and the same thing yeah like I witnessed uh, like all my family members I saw the way that they raised their families and what they valued and the, the ideas about how a life should be lived according to them like the biggest thing I remember growing up was like you got to go to college and get a real job with benefits. You need a job with benefits. And I remember just this language around like making sure you have health insurance and basically like all this stuff, like life is a to-do list. And I think when I, as a drunk, that was kind of a good thing about, excuse me, about being a drunk is, um, you kind of say fuck all that and you just like do whatever you want. And I actually would say that's a good thing uh, as long as it doesn't like, you don't like crash a car or whatever. But like, uh, my point is that I'm, I'm proud that my wife and I were like, yeah, we're going to get married when we want. We're going to like, maybe have a kid, maybe not. And uh, and we're going to talk about it. I mean, that's what I'm really proud of, too, is we went to couples therapy for lots of issues. Uh, but the the primary one in the last year or so of it was, do we really want a kid or not? And if we do, what's that going to look like? Um, and just like really consciously deciding it. Whereas so many of my family members, and, and I'm one of three accidents, you know, like, which is fine, too. Like, that's how life happens, right? So... I don't know. I guess I'm just really proud of us doing it our way, the way we wanted to. And like, I grew up a lot hearing friends of mine say, I want to have a kid now because I don't want to be the old guy, like who can't play ball with my kid or whatever. And I'm like, I don't relate to that. Cause I'm like, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to have this 15 year hot sex bod uh, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, which I shouldn't say in reference to playing ball with the kids, but <laughs> I, I do think I'll be able to, have an energetic fun uh relationship with my kid you know until i'm like 70 like i'm a healthy guy so anyway all that to say i don't feel old and i'm like i'm so fine talking about like any of these issues
0: yeah it's funny because i thought that too the idea of um having a child is motivation to be like all right let me really start taking better care of myself because uh, you know you want to be around um yeah. and a lot of that stuff too like life I, they talk about this in stoicism and buddhism is and like you said future tripping is you can't plan for any of that shit anyways like you can eat you know vegan diet or whatever and spinach and whatever the fuck and then you know the classic get hit by a bus or you know you just get cancer anyways and you can't really plan life out there's that old yeah. uh, adage how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans for the future. Yeah, you make know? plans, yeah. Um so but it is a thing of like I do start to have that thing where you're like, Okay, when my if I had a son, when he's my age, I'll be seventy four or whatever it is. Um and yeah. my parents were so young when they had me, but you know a lot of it is like these rules and conformities of like well you're supposed to have done this and that was a big part of not having kids for me too was that that's what everyone in my family did so i had that thing of like i'm not gonna get i'm gonna move away yeah i'm not gonna get a job i'm not gonna get married i won't have a house fuck all you guys like i'll do the opposite of everything and so that's part of it and then you start to get to a thing of like maybe that would be fun and, but then I get the anxiety of, uh, and we texted a little bit about this like climate change and all that shit, civil unrest. Yeah. Is that something that, yeah, I remember, I remember
1: hearing doug stanhope talk about uh the greenest thing you can do like all these like hipster green technology people like the 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 greenest thing a person could do is not have kids and that was like the premise of this bit and it's genius it's hilarious and he's right you know honestly like if we want to like stop polluting the planet we need to stop having children uh and for fucking years i remember thinking Yeah, Stanhope. Like he's so right. Like I'm not having any kids. I don't want to be. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be held back. Uh, And I. I really would think about. Things in such a cynical way like that, um, but really, I think that was just my ego trying to protect itself and trying to have a life where I don't have to be accountable to anybody uh, and just not have any rules. You know, I don't want to be told what to do or like have to answer to anybody. Um, that's what. Like my most internal selfish ego based self wants or thinks it needs. Uh, when in fact, the most profound happiness I've experienced invol- doesn't involve me at all. It just involves like being available to other people, showing up for people, taking care of my dog. Like, and now with this kid, like taking care of her. It truly does feel like an out-of-body experience where I'm not thinking about myself at all. And that's such a relief for somebody who is as as obsessed with me as I am. It's nice to have a, a break, you know?
0: Yeah, that's um I feel like that's a good way to go out because we gotta kind of wrap up. But that's oh, yeah, no very very well said. And I've had that feeling just from um having a niece and a nephew. I mean, last year. My on my niece's birthday, my nephew was a kid. He got sick and had to go to the hospital. And so his parents had to take care of him. And, and so Sarah and I stayed behind and cleaned the house and made a cake for my niece and, and took her out and went and bought her a cake. And that feeling of like, okay, we have to make this work. It's this girl's, mm. you know, whatever it is, seventh or eighth. I'm a bad uncle. But it's her eighth birthday and her brother, who she's already competing with, is... Is sick in the hospital, getting all this attention, we have to make we're able to give mm. her this attention and take care of her, and that feeling really does make you. It, it nothing puts you in the moment more than hanging out with a child because you're like, I have to um, do this, and for me, maybe it would minimize my obsession with the Boston Bruins to have a, <laughs> a kid to go. All right, let me. Maybe this isn't that important. So. Yep.
1: That's that. so sweet. And uh, you sharing that story. I mean, that's like instantaneous uh, credentials for being able to do it yourself. So I, I, that's, I, I hope you do. Uh, but of course, you know, everybody, life can be amazing in all sorts of different ways. And it does not have to involve having a child of your own at all. I like that I can say these things with an authoritative tone now that I just have a kid. Uh, yeah. I have no idea what I'm talking about.
0: That's part of it. My, part of my ego too is like, I should do it just to really show everyone that I can do it. And you yeah. know you don't want to have a kid for that reason either. But that's part of a whole larger conversation. And I have to cut this a little short because my producer yeah, no problem a, a deadline of when I, I, I got to get this podcast. And uh, we were supposed to do it at 8.30 in the morning, but fucking Delta with their dumb tech issues. But that's how <laughs> life happens. So um, Patrick, that was so fun. And uh, I, I mean, I literally related to every single thing you said. So it, it was great and I want to do it some more. And we can do it also in non-podcast form.
1: Yeah, man, totally. Great to see you. Thanks, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it, buddy. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited
0: by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive Producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.